This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. There's so much between the facts and the content, and we've allocated, I've allocated myself a very short time for it, and trying to think of what to talk about because more than one point we don't have time for. Um, about his accomplishments is something that we should sit and, and think about. He started Eisha Torah um, in the mid-70s, literally with one room, penniless, no funds, no infrastructure, nothing. And it became a tremendous machna. His own... Um, the way he reached out to Talmudim, the words that you heard before um, are very much, this is the way people felt. They were bonded uh, heart and soul uh, with Reb Noach. The, um, on the personal level, um, I've said it recently quite a few times, um, I think in the stature as a person, he's probably the biggest person I've seen. In, in many, many incidents that test people, that test big people personally, um, he didn't stand the high moral ground. He stood on the Mount Everest of moral ground um, in, in, in situations where other people long ago would have snapped, been antagonistic, etc. Um, a lot, a lot is extraordinary. But I want to speak about one thing since the Bachram here did not know him, um, really personally heard about him possibly. I'd like to speak about one point that may be relevant to us. One of the things that Reb Noach was very insistent was that Torah has to be Torah's Chaim. It has to be relevant. It has to speak about life. Like um, Reb Shimon mentioned, everything in the world was a sugitim, everything in the world was Torah. So I'm going to pick one Nekuda and uh, try to focus on a small thing that in a certain way was the core of what drove him and is relevant to us. Why does a person go into Kirov? It, 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 a little bit, one of the things that irks me, I guess we need titles, is you talk about Kirov professionals. You have accountant professionals, you have lawyer professionals, you have Kirov professionals. You have Shochtim, you have Moalim, and you have Kirov professionals. And so for some people it's a profession, for some people it's a bit of a power thing. The L'Shem Shemayim people do it because they're doing a Kaddish Baruch a favor. Kaddish Baruch has a very hard time. The Klal Yisrael is not doing what he wants, and we're helping him along, and we're doing it L'Shem Shemayim. That's an attitude that for us, as far as we're concerned, we call that L'Shem Shemayim. Derech HaCheres HaYisrael. Reb Noach was a very different person, and that's the one point that I just want to um, describe. I came from the Mir Yeshiva in 1983 to start teaching. I used to teach the half day, sometimes in the morning, sometimes in the afternoon. I was involved with people um, in, in the out, a little bit in the outreach, mostly it was regular teaching. I left 1990, but I kept a, a kesher. I was very kosher um, with my heart. I used to teach there on and off classes and people and so on. So what I'm saying is something of an outside observer, but something that struck me as being the core, in a sense, of what Reb Noach was about. Let's um, 
let's just start with, a, let's just say over Chazal, a steer in Chazal, and then we will uh, describe the Teretz the way I think Reb Noach lived the Teretz. Chazal say, Shakai, it's a Pasuk in Eov, Shakai, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Lo Nucha Sagi Koach, we have not found you overbearing. HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not overwhelm us with his power. Lamashal, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu revealed himself to, um, revealed himself on, uh, to a grown-up, he, he, he revealed himself in a way that a grown-up can deal with it. When he revealed himself to a shifcha, he revealed himself in a way that a shifcha can deal with it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was able to, um, to sort of present the infinite divinity in a way that you could tap into it. That's one Pasuk that Chazal Darsh in a few places. What I think is a stira is from this week's parasha. It says that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave when HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave the um, Dibris, the Aserza Dibris, it says, Nafshi Yotza B'dabrei My soul departed when he spoke to me. So it says on every Dibra they died, their souls left them, and HaKadosh, so had it come back for the next Dibra, so it says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu bought a Tal Shal and it revived them and brought them back. L'chura, it's a stira. On the one hand, Chazal tell us HaKadosh Baruch Hu was not overwhelming. Kaddish Baruch Hu did not present himself in a way that we couldn't cope with what was coming. And in the other place, it says our souls departed when we saw Kaddish Baruch Hu, and then and then um, we and Kaddish Baruch Hu had to bring Tzvi Why did not Kaddish Baruch Hu Kaviyochel rein his presence in so we wouldn't be overwhelmed? That's the Shiloh that I want to present. So. Let's go back to a point about Rab Noach and about what drove him for the Kirov and so on. I was once speaking to somebody. I was, there was a time I was involved with setting up the schedules for Intermediate, I think it was, and there was a fellow who had been there. He had, um, stud- he had studied for Taimei Shatora and then had gone away and left it personally, emotional reasons, became a very, very successful investment banker, and, um, and now he was back after a few years. He, was, he lived, he had a, a condo in Upper Manhattan, and he had everything, everything. And he was sitting there, and I was trying to work out a schedule for him, and he was very, very negative. This he didn't like, this he didn't want, this he had tried, this does this, this, that, that, that. And finally, at some point, I, my patience became a little frayed, and I said, so why'd you come? And he looked me straight in the eye with every bit of his aggressive self. And he said, Rabbi, I assure you one thing. Had I found one thing worth staying for, believe me, I wouldn't have come back here. And to me, as a yeshiva bach who grew up kind of awed by the big world and so on, to hear somebody say it so aggressively, so from the heart, yet spent six, seven years in a life that most of us would be quote-unquote, jealous, envious, uh, not quote-unquote, we would be jealous and envious, let's be frank, and he told me there is not one thing I had to stay for. Somebody else told it to me a little more sharply in the same thing. This was a fellow who was a very accomplished editor, writer, etc., lived in the old city, was very 
very close to Reb Noach. Reb Noach, he was an extraordinary, very, very secular person, very accomplished. And I used to learn with him once a week. And we got into talking about Kirov. I don't remember the context of maybe I'd made some remark or something. And he became very furious. He was a very emotional person. And he said, you don't understand. He said, you don't begin to understand. You know what it is to get up every morning to look at the mirror and to say, you're worthless. You've got nothing to live for, and life is worthless. It's meaningless. Every day, this was a person who was an extreme in intellectual abilities and emotional. And he said, he's not... He said, it's the first time and place that you make people's life worth living. For me, coming from yeshiva and a kind of uh, insulated life, it was very eye-opening. To understand no person can fool himself. The klal, the Yisodan psychology is that every single person knows himself, and down deep we can mask things, but we can't... Um, we can't cause him to go away. And if a person knows that he's living for nothing, then he feels empty and he feels depressed and it can take many ways to go with it. But at the end of the day, he is a wretched human being. There's an extraordinarily powerful line written by one of the great of the last generation who was nifted all too young about from Elia Kaplan. He was the prize student at Slabotka, and he um, was an extraordinarily gifted person in a lot of ways. And he wrote poetry also. It's in a sefer called Be'ikvis Hayira. If you ever have a chance to, if you have the Russian Kodesh, to know it and understand it. And he's pondering life. And he's pondering how days come and days go. And, um, and there doesn't seem to be any meaning to these days. He's speaking about his self as the non, in the mode of being not uh, in Torah. That, that's the reflection. And he says one of the most powerful lines ever written. He says, Im karos chayim. If this is what you call life, keli, tell me, O oh God, mazelomus, how do you describe death? The sense of living a life that has no purpose, no meaning, whether you live or you die or you never lived, is the same thing. That is the most horrid feeling. If you take a look, Eov is the most powerful sefer in Tanakh dealing with life's issues about God and so on. It deals purportedly with God's justice about punishment and reward and so on. A, a seemingly innocent person is subjected to a lot of... Um, a, a lot of hardships, but if you, if you bother to learn it, that's not what it's about. What it's about is Eo's blasphemy is not that he denies God, it's not that he denies that God runs the world, or even that he's just. The, 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 um, the dominating words of Eov are, it's pointless, it's worthless, my life is meaningless. That was the kfira of Eov, set under duress. But that was the kfira. A life that's not meaningful, that has no purpose. His point is, 
if I died before I was born, the world would not be any worse off than if I'm living. Those are the words of Eov that are kfira. Not believing that your life is a worthy life, not believing that life itself is good, is kfira much more stronger than denying HaKadosh Baruch Because denying HaKadosh Baruch HaKadosh Baruch doesn't become, we don't have Bechira to deny HaKadosh Baruch to make a mark on HaKadosh Baruch We have Bechira about ourselves. And the blasphemy of Eov lay in the fact that he was someone who said, my life is worthless. That was where Reb Noach was coming from. He, his love of people was extraordinary. And it struck home when he would take a person, look at him, and ask him, not, he would ask bluntly also, but say to himself, why, how can this person be happy if a day more or a day less in his life is not meaningful? And they're not happy. There is no more depressing thought than the idea that it's all pointless. Whether I become a multi-billionaire or a pauper, I'll end up in the same grave, and it makes no difference. Some people try to mask it with, with uh, chemical means. Some people try to mask it by thinking that if they make themselves big enough or popular enough or great enough, they will become eternal. But at the end of the day, that sense of hollowness and emptiness pervades. And that was how Reb Noach looked around. Reb Noach was intrinsically a happy person because he lived and he loved life, and life was full of meaning every minute. Like, like um, Reb Shimon mentioned, he would walk down at the bench and say, Avas Hashem, Kiddush Hashem, Yiras Hashem. The, the, the happiness that he exuded was because there was purpose to it. People, if people looked at it realistically, Reb Noach suffered a lot, a lot of hardships. And the burden of the yeshiva was crushing in a lot of ways. It, it was excruciatingly crushing. And he was always an up person. And the answer was because there was a vacharta b'chayim. There was something about him that was all life. And b'meila, he, um, how could a person not be happy? It, it, he's, he's striving. He's, it, something's happening. Something's going on. That was, that was the nakuda that he was. And that reached out to people. When people saw him, they said, I don't know what it is. But this is living, and this is what I like to do. That was his own Nakuda, and that's how he reached out people. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a one point about a very, very big person. The, like we said before, the, we have, unfortunately, if, if, if Shimon had to pack into half hour, ten, ten hours worth, a whole lifetime of a giant of a person in a few minutes is very difficult. But for us, it's very relevant. One more point he made to make it a little bit, to bring it home one drop closer. The biggest enemy to enjoying life is to look for a comfortable life. He very much stressed the difference between pleasure and comfort. That was the mantra. It is the most comfortable thing to walk home and to plop down on a couch in front of a TV. It is the least pleasurable activity because as it grows on you, 
you feel emptier and emptier. You're not doing anything. You're not going anywhere. You're not accomplishing anything. You're not becoming richer in any sense. You're not becoming enriched. There's nothing about it. The, the, the he himself was life itself. He was always doing and so happily doing because he, he connected with life and he loved life and he realized that life lies in the tachlis of what a person is doing. He loved people, and that's why he would look around a room full of people and ask them, what are you living for? Torah is Torah's chaim. What are you living for? You're, fine, you're doing graduate work in calculus. Great. And then you get a doctorate. Great. And then you'll teach. Great. You'll be famous. Tell me something. Where's that point that you're going to be happy? And people would stare at him blankly. And then they would look at him and they would see chaim and avas chaim and, and, and the joy and love, that was what they saw in him. The, 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 there was, you know, one would expect people would do Kirov for Kaddish Baruch Hu's sake, because Kaddish Baruch Hu needs Klal Yisrael. There's a sort of heavy, um, nagging atmosphere of you're not doing good enough, Kaddish Baruch Hu's not happy with you, Kaddish Baruch Hu wants better out of you, and so on. And it produces, it has, it has a way of kind of dragging down on a person. Reb Noach never spoke about Kodesh Baruch Hu. He spoke about you. What about you? Are you happy? If you're not happy, it's open up, open yourself up, and tatachlis achayim, and uvacharta b'chayim, and you will be happy. And he lived it himself. He, he reached out to people because, he's, because he felt a depression around him. He felt how people were, were spiraling out of life because it was meaningless to them. And, and, and he wished he could reach out and infuse them with the same love and the same life that he had. Um, hearing of Shimon speak, this is one of thousands and tens of thousands of people that were touched by the person. Much more than the Torah, much more than the shiurim, much more than the arguments, much more than the activities. The person himself was a fountain of life and simcha. It's almost hard to, to speak. Avelos is called Simcha in, in the Lashon of Chazal. And um, to, to think of, of that, of so much happiness and so much warmth and gone is very hard. But um, the well he, he tapped in was not himself. The well he tapped in was Neshama, Kadosh and Torah. And that's eternal. And as long as we understand that, it, as long as we don't settle into comfort, and we understand that no matter how much we run away from it, we're not going to be happy unless life has meaning for us. When we have it, we begin to work for it. And when a person is working for something that he believes in, <coughs> something has meaning, his life is meaningful, he's a happy person. <laughs>